This is the Red Sign Podcast, a deep dive into legacy wealth building through real estate. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Red Sign Podcast. I'm Clay Winder with one of uh, my most exciting guests I've had yet. Jeff, welcome. Introduce yourself. Uh, happy to be here. I'm Jeff Pearson. I'm a certified residential appraiser in the state of Utah. And uh, I mentioned to my friend that I was going to be on your podcast. And she said, Oh, that's good. You've got a face for a podcast. And I said, uh, Oh, that's nice, you know. And then so I got here early. I got here early for hair and makeup and realized it's audio only. So, so now I'm starting to figure out what you meant by that. But so I've been doing I've been doing appraisals for um, since about 2002 is when I started and apprenticed under another appraiser. And um, yeah, just been doing it full time ever since. 20 years in the market. This is why I want you here, Jeff. We have, I get bombarded with questions all the time about appraisals. It's been a wild market. We've done market updates on this podcast for the last year. And it's, it's been fascinating because every 90 days or so we're like, you know, sinking our teeth into some crazy shocking data. It's chilled out a little bit right now, but it's still aggressive out there and it's still appreciating pretty high. Uh, and so I I wanted to talk to you because appraisers take a lot of, I'll say heat, it kind of taken a lot of heat lately. Um, because uh, in my mind, I usually describe to my clients and my friends when they when we get to that appraisal process, whether they're purchasing a home or they're selling a home, and we get to that process to say, what should we expect? And I always have to remind them, appraisers are a little bit like historians when compared to the real estate agent. Real estate agents like to predict the future. What are the comps telling us we might expect in the future as we're going on the market? You know, in the next 90 days, so we look at under contracts and just the active competition and that. But appraisers come in and they're more historians, you know, what is actually sold. And so I wanted to get into into kind of into the weeds on some of these appraisal issues that come up. But first, before we do that, can we just start on that historical data that you guys do? What is the purpose? And this is real fundamental, but I think it's important for people to understand. Why do appraisals even exist and why do banks require them? Well, it's it's a... Um why do they exist? It's, it's to help mitigate risk for lenders or banks or whoever's loaning the money. They want to feel secure about um, the value of the property that they're going to loan on. I'd push back a little bit on you on the historian part, just because I see an appraisal as it's a snapshot in time. So if I'm doing an appraisal for you and, and today's date's the, what is today, the 20th or 19th? What are we? The 20th of... of By the time this airs next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's just say whatever day we're on. Um, I, my job is to look at historical data, but then to make it relevant for today, meaning I'm supposed to incorporate um, market adjustments. I'm supposed to incorporate time of sale, and I'm supposed to make those comps if they were to sell today, what would these comparables sell for? Mm, so see, that's important because a lot of people think like I just said, where it's like, well, it's only like what's already happened, you know, whenever it happened. Absolutely. So so my job is to look at it, historical data, absolutely. But I'm supposed to look at that and then make market adjustments to reflect today's market. And I, I agree that, that real estate agents will look to the future and, and price things accordingly based on the trends and, and things happening. But yeah, that, that my job is not to report what happened six months ago. It's to look at what happened six months ago and then make it relevant for today. 
And the banks want you as that neutral third party. They don't want to hear from the seller or the buyer or their real estate agents. They want somebody that can protect the assets, like you said, or, or mitigate the risk. Uh, when they're going through that process, what are some of the requirements that you might think a home buyer or a home seller just might, it might be useful to be privy to. Like what do the banks require of you usually when they want that appraisal? So, yeah, so each each bank is a little bit different. Um, most of their requirements are based on Fannie Mae, Freddie, Freddie Mac, FHA, uh, their requirements. Um, they, they want us to, uh, like when we're pulling comparables, for instance, pick homes that are similar in size, quality, condition, age, style. That's a big one. That's that's a confusing one to some people. If, if I have a Rambler that I'm looking at and... Uh, the homeowner hands me comparables and they're all two-story homes. I'll look at them, but I, I typically don't use them because they're different styles of homes. I, I'll use them if I have to, if I don't have anything else, but I would rather go farther away. Um, you know, uh, lenders require typically to stay within a mile or explain why you didn't. They want current comps, uh, sales in the last, you know, 90 to 180 days. I can go up to a year. Um, typically, but I can also go farther back if I need to, if I, if I don't have anything, if it's a unique property or more complex. Um, and, and then I just make it modern. I figure out what the, the, the marketing trends are, what the time of sale adjustments would be, and I make it current. Hmm. Have you had, uh, you, you mentioned a comment that, that I get a lot, and that is the interaction between appraiser and homeowner. Yeah. Uh, is it appropriate for a homeowner to share comparables with an appraiser? 100%. So the, the appraiser is um, beholden to USPAP. It's it's kind of our code of conduct. Uh, we're supposed to be unbiased. We're supposed to be not influenced, uh, you know, for value or different things like that. We have a, um, a, um, a, a bylaw or rules that, that uh, the lenders have set up called AIR. It's an acronym for Appraiser Independence Requirements. Um, and what that is, is that is that limits the loan team or the production team of a mortgage company from contacting an appraiser about value. Um, but a borrower doesn't have those same restrictions. A real estate agent does not have those same restrictions. A, a real estate agent can say anything they want to me when I'm appraising a home for them if it's their listing. They can give me comps. They can say, hey, this is how we determined our value. This is what we based our, our valuation on. Here are the comps. Uh, borrowers can do the same exact thing. It's up to me at that point. I'm the one that's responsible for not being influenced or showing bias or any of those things, it's that's on me. That has nothing to do with the borrower or the real estate agent. That's fascinating. So it is okay for me as a real estate agent to 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 let you, the appraiser, know that we had multiple offers and Absolutely. maybe tell that situation. That's funny because I've been told multiple times otherwise yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that I'm that I'm that I that's inappropriate and and not okay to do. And maybe we'll back up for our listeners right here. You've got to understand we had a fiasco here in the recession. That was right when I got into the industry in 2006, beginning of 2007, and I kind of had a front row seat to some of the shenanigans that happened right here in Provo River Bottoms where we had appraisers that were not just influence but sure. in cahoots with with some with essentially some loan fraud, right? Where they had inflated appraisals uh, that kind of deceived the bank and they Overlent on properties. You probably know a lot more yeah, about. Yeah, I, I know a lot about. Yeah, <laughs> that, and, well, it's a case study, really. I mean, sure. we had we. Yeah, I mean, we as a brokerage, we had some of the parties 
that participated in that had as part of their sentencing, because it went very, very legal, part of their sentencing was to go to all the major brokerages here in town and explain what they did. And the key element to some of that loan fraud was they had an appraiser that uh, was kind of getting kickbacks and rewards and and was more than just your you know Absolutely. influence to no. participate in deceiving the bank. Yep, very very fraud, lots of fraud in that in that in that case. And so now we're dealing with what you just described, which is a good thing, which is limited access for that you know for for inappropriate influences with the appraiser. So that's why I ask these questions is because we've been now so overtrained to really protect that process so that appraisers can be that third party independent. What I what I'd say about that is appraisers have to know that they have to know how that property was marketed you know if it if it if it had enough exposure if it was you know if it was marketed well enough and the to, to try to find out the true market value of the property i already know what the contract price is cuz i received the rep c when when they send the order so i already know the the final number that you are looking for uh, it's my job at that point then to find out all I can that falls under my scope of work, find out all I can about the property, how it was marketed, how many offers there were, what influenced these buyers to, you know, bid $10,000 more than the list price, whatever it is. I, I need to know all of that data, but then it's up to me not to be influenced or or just trying to hit a number. I have to show my work. I have to make the, the comps modern. I got to figure out what the time of sale should be. If, you know, if, if the market's going up five or 6% a month, I have to find that and defend it. And then I adjust for it. Hmm. Well, then let's talk. So that brings me to probably the, a key part of this conversation that anytime somebody gets face to face with an appraiser, this is usually the top question. And that is in a market where last year, Utah's median home price appreciated 28.3%. How do you find value and not just have all of your appraisals come in short? And I guess the question is, how many appraisals do you do that do come in short? You know, because how do you keep up with 28%? I mean, granted, and that was, we had an anomaly last year. I think we all understand that. But still, if you still if you average out the last, you know, even just half a dozen years, we're like 10% in Utah County. And most of the other counties, you know, most of Utah is close to that. That's really aggressive appreciation. How does that influence, like, how, how do you manage that? Well, it, it, it depends. So um, I try not to say anything that will get me in trouble here. I know. I but, probably shouldn't ask you how many of your appraisals come yeah, in short. I, yeah, <laughs> that, that's, that's tough, and I, I don't know off the top of my head. But I do know this. Not every property went up 28%. Like, again, Very true. That's just the median. We yeah. are breaking down rambler for ramblers. Like if, you know, I've got a 1975 rambler in middle of Orm city, I'm going to only be looking at those types of properties and I'm going to find the market trend for those specific properties. Um, but a lot of the, let, you know, let's, let's just say that uh, a home does appreciate 28%. There's probably more to the story than just the market. It probably was remodeled. It could have had an addition put on it. They may have you know, put in a pool or an outbuilding or something like that, that created an additional market for that property where instead of one or two buyers looking to buy that home, there were 15 because they did such a good job in the remodel or they put an accessory apartment or something, something like that um, plays into that increase and not just the frenzy and, and everybody thinking that the market's shooting up. So totally. Well, we got to ask it right now. The accessory apartment. Okay. That 
is huge. The, uh, the state of Utah passed a law, I think it was just beginning of last year, maybe it was the, the prior session of that, but they really put some downward pressure on all the cities to to open up access and allow, they, they can't just have blanket rules now that say no more accessory apartments. So we have seen a huge surge in accessory apartments across Utah in the last two years. How much, and I know that's kind of a, maybe a poor question, but how much value can an accessory apartment, generally speaking, bring to a to just a normal home. Yeah, so so that's there. It depends. I know you'll get sick of well, me saying it. Well, maybe a better question is: okay. Do we look at it from a comparable standpoint, or do you actually factor in income to that point? Like, is because I know we don't re- usually do the income approach on residential. Yeah. So, but at the end of the day, the homeowner is absolutely all about that income. You know, it costs fifty thousand to put in the basement, but now they're getting twelve hundred dollars in rent. That's huge returns sure. on a fifty thousand dollar investment. So that depends as well. So when I get an order, sometimes it'll be owner occupied and sometimes it'll be um, tenant occupied. If it's tenant occupied, a lot of times they'll order a an additional form uh, operating income statement and a comparable rent schedule. And so those things factor in when it's tenant occupied, meaning the main floor tenant occupied, and you know I don't I don't know how they do multiple tenants in in the same unit if it's single family, but um, but if let's just say it's owner occupied and and the homeowner has put a accessory apartment, then there's some other things that depend. You know, is it it can you do you have to be owner occupied in one of the two units in order to legally rent that? That's a factor. Um, but I, what I typically do when there's an accessory apartment, I number one, find out if the city recognizes it, if it's, you know, if it's a, a legal accessory apartment or if it's just a mother-in-law apartment. But, um, but I, I definitely give, depending on the quality and condition and how, you know, the age of the, the, the improvement, uh, I'll give value based on that. What I'll try to do is find comparables that are apples and apples. Find, you know, if I pull six comps and include them in the form, I'll try to have three or four that have the accessory unit. And it's very common in Utah. That's not a hard thing to do. But Is that the same thing with pools and solar? I've got to ask because yeah. we get that a lot too. Because, yeah, so- well, let me back up. You get the... We're, we're in Utah. We get all the solar guys that go out across the country and door knock. And so many of these young guys that are out door knocking, part of their script is, hey, you want to buy solar because it, it it improves the value of your home more than the solar even costs, which is just a radical statement and, and has no merit, but could, but it also couldn't because normally it's, what do the comps say? So I'm curious on factoring those type of items, you know, the solar, the pools, the the things that aren't necessarily every comp has. Yeah, so so those are definitely uh, you typically spend a lot more than the adjustment that an appraiser will give for those you know improvements. People, you need to hear that comment because I get a lot of pushback where people are sold on, oh my solar gave so much value. And I do have to remind people, it usually you do not get dollar for dollar. Yeah, so so what we try to do is find a paired sale, something that We've tried to find two cells that are identical, except for one has a pool and one doesn't, and see what the difference in price in those cell. And, and that's not always a perfect mathematical equation, but it's 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 recognized by other appraisers and you know uh, in the industry. But the other thing is, our job is to find out the remaining economic life or whatever of whatever the improvement is. So if it, if it's a twenty-five year roof and you haven't replaced it for 20 years, then it's got a five-year economic remaining life. And so then, um, you know, there's, there's different, there's different uh, things that you can do to determine the value based on, you know, replacement costs and different things like that. 
there's so many things in the appraisal world that just depend. But what I would say, if I were a borrower and I knew that I, that, that an appraiser was coming to their home and I just spent $200,000 on a, on a pool in my backyard and landscape, I would make sure and tell them every single penny and I would even print it out for them. And even if they don't give them the full $200,000 for the pool and the landscape, they'll give a lot more than if they don't tell them what their costs were on that, on that, because, well, I shouldn't say that. Solar is a tough one too. I'll, I'll skip to solar because solar is not that common in Utah yet. When it becomes more common, there'll be more data to support higher adjustments because of paired sales analysis. But as of right now, even lenders, if you buy solar and you get a loan for the solar, I can't give a penny credit for the solar because they have a loan on it. Once the once the solar is paid for and owned by the owner of the property, then I find out what the remaining economic life is. I try to find comparable sales that have that improvement. And then I try to find out what the market will give for something like that. And it's typically less than what the owner has paid for it, unfortunately. But if you go on the MLS and you do a full search of every property in Salt Lake County and you do total number of sales in the last 12 months, and then you write that number down, it'll be a decent sized number. And then you mark the solar box and you find out how many have sold with solar, you'll be shocked at the tiny less than 1% of the homes that sold actually had solar. It's really impossible to try to find good data to support a defendable adjustment for that. We'll get there. That's yeah, but, but again, five years ago, it was worse. In 10 yeah. years, it will be a lot better as more people get solar. So on the same subject, from the eyes of an appraiser, where would a homeowner get the biggest bang for their buck? For an appraisal. Well, and if they can grow their house. So number one square footage. Square footage is always king. Um, quality and condition, meaning if you've got a, a 1990 house that looks like 1990, then you should make it try to look more like 2020. Um, I would start in the kitchen, floor coverings and paint and bathrooms. That's where I always tell people to start. A lot of people will spend 50 or 60 grand in their yard. And while that's awesome, they're not going to get on that hardly, new pool yeah. or on that well, solar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, pools are a little different because they, they are something that are desirable to the market. People like to buy homes with pools, but we're in Utah. You can't use them five months out of the year, typically. Um, but always start in the kitchen. That's the main, that's the main room. That's the main focal point of most homes is that kitchen. You know what I mean? That, that family living room type area. But that, that's what I'd say. If you can't add square footage, you, you modernize your home, make it look like it's, you know, updated and, and nice. What are the biggest challenges facing the appraisal world right now? Oh, I would say the amount of waivers people are getting um, because of their credit score and the way that the market has gone up so quickly that loan-to-value is typically a lot smaller right now on on, on homes I would say that mortgage companies more and more are getting waivers and not even getting appraisals. Interesting. Yeah. So not even a like a, a, a drive-by appraisal. You know, we've heard that term before, just a quick look online. They're, they're not even consulting an appraiser. They're just waiving the appraisal entirely. Yeah, like I, I just refied my home uh, about six months ago and my loan to value was so low that I didn't, I wasn't required to get an appraisal. Um, 
Fannie Mae has just approved a product, and I don't know a ton about it, but it's a desktop review. Um, see, so can I get in the weeds a little bit on this? Let's, let's do it. So <laughs> the Fannie and Freddie came up with a tool called the Collaborative Underwriter. It, they call it this, their CU tool. And every appraisal I upload into their system, they give me a score of one to five. One meaning, one meaning it's the least amount of, of um risk and five meaning it's the most amount of risk and so they grade every single report but in, in addition to grading my report they keep all the data so if if you have a 3,000 square foot rambler 1500 above ground 1500 below ground um, they have that data forever and every time that house refinances they know it's a 3,000 square foot rambler they know it's got three bedrooms above ground two in the basement you know they've got an accessory apartment they've got they know all the data they keep it they know it's a two-car garage and the only time that changes is if they get another appraisal that where they've put an addition on or added a garage or a pool or something but they are really good at collecting all this data and so let's say a, a typical homeowner buys his home 10 years ago and has refied it three or four times, they know everything there is to know about that property. It, and all they do then is they say, well, the market in Utah, in Utah County, in Orem City has gone up 15% year over year for the last five years. Our risk is now X. We will loan X amount of money. So, so they don't need another appraiser to walk out and, and tell them it's a 1,500 foot square 1500 or 3000 square foot rambler they know that so then they can de determine their risk based on the market and what it's doing that's fascinating is that are you going to be out of a job someday i mean as big data we always every every industry always talks about is big data and ai going to put us out of a job is our appraisers potentially is I, big data I and ai going to there'll always be a need for an appraiser because of new construction and remodeling and things like that I think there are definitely tools that they're coming out with that are going to um, make fewer appraisers. So appraisers just need to be like everybody else. They got to get more competitive and, and sharpen their tools and, and offer more value for what they're doing. There's always the weird houses. I there's, call them unique houses, but they're weird. Yeah, you know, there's we, always we call stuff. them complex. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it's definitely uh, you know the 20 years I've been doing uh, appraisals um, every year. I'm told that another 10 years and you won't have a job type of a thing. So, I don't know. I. I mean, eventually, it seems like um, the majority of appraisers will be doing something different, but who knows? Hmm. What uh, what last tips or or comments would you want to share with our millions and millions of viewers or uh, listeners that are out there uh, about this process about appraising? I would say um, if you're disappointed in your appraisal and there's nothing factually wrong with it, you know, like you didn't miss. 500 square feet of the house or something like that, I, I would say give the appraiser a break. We There are so many pressures on us, number one, just for time constraints. I thought you were going to say give us some jazz tickets or some... Uh... <laughs> no, no, <that's> <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. illegal, guys. It's illegal. But um, give them a break. They, they have a box that they have to fit everything into to get it to go through underwriting. And don't always believe the hype. You, you know, every house I go to, someone says, well, my neighbor just sold for, you know, $2 million. And so I've got to be worth $3 million. That That's not how appraisals work. Again, I, I work backwards. I get to the home. I document the things in the home. I measure the home. And then I go get on the, the MLS and I 
slowly work my way out from that house and find comparables that are similar, similar in age, quality, con- condition, uh, style, and, you know, and, and your neighbor's home isn't your home, and it's probably a lot different. Um, so I'd say give them, give them a break, but I also would say engage them in a conversation. Appraisers need to defend their work. And I, I get, occasionally I'll get someone that's irritated with me about an appraisal until I have a conversation with them and explain what I'm required to do, what I have to report, things I can and cannot do to get the, to get whatever value they were hoping for. But I, I love those conversations because you can educate the, the homeowner and you're making an appraiser, the next appraiser's job a little bit easier. For sure. Anything else to add? No, I think, I think that's it. Do you have any other questions? Or? I, have a, I have so many questions, but for the sake of time, we'll keep it short. Uh, Jeff Pearson, everybody, this is wonderful. I, I, I've got a lot to think about here. I'm uh, really glad we had you on the show. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. You've been listening to the Red Sign Podcast a deep dive into legacy wealth building through real estate. See you next time.